0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode. In this episode, I am doing a coaching session with an exchange member, Stephanie Rosado. And we'll be talking about how to make difficult decisions as a leader. You know, all of the difficult decisions. She'll be talking about one specifically that she's working on, but really there's a theme to just having to lead and make difficult decisions and how we do that as business owners. So enjoy.
1: I think, I think one that I'm um, the biggest one that I'm sort of in the midst of making, and I'm, I'm just, I think I'm terrified, but also just one that I think probably some people will relate to, cause I've seen questions pop up about it on, on different, on the different um, Facebook groups, but essentially um, looking at moving into office space. And I have currently one office location that is just me renting an office in a suite. And I was in the process of expanding. I had hired two people at the start of 2020, and uh, within, uh, you know, two months, three months, we were in, shut down. So at that point, we were all sharing the office and it was working great. And I didn't know how quickly I was going to scale. I sort of had a, an idea of where I wanted to be at the end of the day in terms of my business plan. But I didn't know how quickly I was going to kind of see what that just trying it all, all of it on. So. Um that pushed everything into fast gear, I said essentially fast and slow gear because of the year. Um so I have these, I had those two employees. Since then I've hired three more. So now we're a team of six. Nice. And um obviously cannot go back to sharing one office with six people inside a suite. And the suite that I'm in is amazing. And we we'll share it with a bunch of psychiatrists, and it's it's wonderful, but that's just not gonna work. So uh the the question I'm sort of struggling with is how. Big do I go because the offices I'm looking at are eight to 10 offices. Which my goal was to have 10 full time and then have maybe a littering of you know some part time people to sort of fill the gaps and kind of make the team a little bit more rounded out. So maybe 15, 17 total. And that's that's kind of where I think I'd like to stop at this point. That's my plan. So that said, 10 seems both like a good number because it'll allow me to be there, as, but it's scary because we're in San Diego and it's an intr- huge, I mean, the market's crazy here and right? the, the spaces are so expensive and it just feels big. So then that the other, so one question is, am I making the right decision by going that big or should I just get an office for the number of staff that I currently have, which sort of seems silly, but then that's where I'm like, Whoa, it's the fear? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, y- your business plan seems to support the larger space, and I'll say that most the decisions that I see group practice owners making, a lot of it ends up hinging on their their risk level, okay. um, plus what income they have to support whatever amount of time that office space won't be utilized. So I don't know if you've done any sort of calculations on, because mm-hmm. it sounds like a 10 office space isn't far off from what you're hoping to grow into, mm-hmm. which is a, a good sign in looking at it. I When I work with other people who are like, I'm not sure yet how big I want to get a 10 office space, I would say is then not something to jump into because mm-hmm. you might decide at five people you're good, mm-hmm. um, but you are at six, which isn't, it It doesn't leave your space, a 10 office space, you know, completely unused, which is good. Right. and We still have a little bit of time to right. to grow before you would be using that office space. The second thing that I would think about is um the financial piece because that's obviously the scariest part of it yeah. is do you have enough funds? How long does it take a clinician to fill? Mm-hmm. How many clinicians do you expect mm-hmm. to hire? Um, I would say through 2021, right?
1: We're in the mm-hmm. beginning of, when do you plan out? When would you have planned on getting that? I wanna, yeah. I mean, right now there's a lot of TIs in this couple of spaces that we've been looking at. Um, soundproofing is being a huge factor in those, but we've set like June b- to be kind of the goal.
0: Okay, perfect. So I would look at what is your expectation? How are you forecasting? What now, b- between now and June looks like in terms of how many clinicians you, extra clinicians you're hiring? And, um, what subtracting what that 10 office space is from what you're expecting to forecast between now and June, plus the six people that you have, would you be, I mean, I can envision you being at capacity already by June and not yeah. even needing to forecast the second, cause I was going to say, then you have to forecast June to let's say the end of the year, cause that's when you're actually paying the rent and how many clinicians can you get? to cover the cost of that rent by the end of the year. That's how I always look at it. I'm expanding into a new space where I don't yet have the people for it, but you are, you are planning pretty healthily ahead of time that you can potentially make it work so that your 10 office space is full by the time the 10 office space is
1: actually ready. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm, thinking um the 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 other factor in this i think that's made it challenging has been i'm sure you've heard the concerns about hiring i mean Mm -hmm. i felt i waited i didn't just hire anybody that came to the door i was definitely very choosy about um who i was bringing on and looking for certain qualities and mostly culture and fit was really important to me and then um skills you know are really important but i think those can be grown and and groomed and so um Anyway, I've, the the hiring was really, it was slow, but I mean, I I did it. I had had, one was word of mouth from another clinician. And then um, the other two were through like traditional indeed, or one of them was just found us on our website, which is wonderful. But the the hiring, I don't say drought, but slow process makes it a little intimidating because the goal of like, I could, and then the, uh, to add to that, we are, we, we are only credentialed or two insurance companies. Really, we only take um, two. One of them is very minimal, but the other one is our main insurance, TRICARE, and we serve the military population here in San Diego heavily. We have sort of specialties in those areas with working with combat stress and um, trauma. So long story short is on that. We have people um, not in the pipeline, and I'm worried about like, okay, these two are the last two I hired. Other three are full. The last two I hired are waiting on credentialing still. That's that's the piping. The pipeline is sort of goes. I'm I'm doing. They're doing admin tasks for me, yeah. and one is creating a group that's going to launch probably in the next two weeks to do st- some private pay groups and whatnot until she's credentialed. But it sort of makes this whole thing a little scary as far as like hire. Do I go ahead and start putting that out now in hiring for that timeline so that they're credentialed and starting to see patients by June. How yeah. long does it take to get into Tricare? Oh God, it used to take forty five days. Now it's taking like ninety to one hundred and twenty. Oh wow! I did just invest in some new marketing, which is um, we're gonna we have we've ne- I've never marketed, so I've never really like done a Google ad or anything like that, and and all my clinicians have been full via word of mouth or. Uh, and referrals from other you know, uh, providers in the community and then the insurance company, the one insurance company, essentially. So I'm feeling good about the ability to fill them, but I just feel worried that to have four people, maybe I would hire two at a time because it's just so much easier to onboard them together. Um, having them be sitting there, not seeing patients for like four months and then paying admin time, just all of those factors kind of go into it.
0: Are you having to hire? Can you, so my... Um... When, when I hire clinicians, they aren't – their start date, they're not hired until their first client is scheduled, technically. Or they're hired, but they start don't start. Uh, their mm-hmm. start date isn't until their first client is scheduled. So um, we don't have them do any sort of admin time.
1: Okay. Um, even, even, like, attend meetings or anything like that?
0: Nope, not until they start. Okay. When they okay. are officially onboarded, um, that is when um, – that's when they started attending meetings and all that.
1: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I struggled with, with these two was um, the the pandemic was making, it was probably my, my, my bleeding heart therapist came out of saying, these people are like really struggling and they have families and, you know, they were looking for work and also thought that they were a great fit for the practice. And one of my what it was kind of worked in both regards because I one of them was had a lot of administrative experience prior manager, a program director, and also mm-hmm. a clinician. And so she was like, I would love to do intake screenings and like do admin stuff behind the scenes and tell I'm up to par if that's something you'd be interested in. It sort of piqued my interest just because then I wouldn't have to necessarily hire an admin person yet. Yeah. And then I thought she could train my new admin person down the line. So that yeah. sort of worked as that's a, a smart move, yeah. Um, and then the other one just I'm, I'm actually she wanted to create the group. So in California, we have to pay for all time worked. So yeah. I'm paying her those 10 hours a week, essentially, to work on getting the group up and running, doing research. And she's done a few other little admin tasks that were helpful for me. So it's kind of worked in my favor because I'm not paying an admin person right now. But yeah. down the line, I can. it's good to hear that people do hire and then just kind of hold off completely. I thought maybe having attend meetings was a, a thing, but... No,
0: I mean we have it set up so that we're um, not. Yeah, they start attending meetings once they are um, fully onboarded and have their first client scheduled. That's when we have they're considered like fully employed and expected to attend any meetings that we have. Um, I, you know, I see the benefit in being able to pay people ahead of time so that they can start attending meetings and be a part of the culture. Yeah. But in reality, um, in our industry, um, it can be hard for practice owners to do that just because if there's no income coming in and it takes up to 190 days or whatever, 120, to have yeah, 120s, yeah it, it's, it's just not feasible. Um, and so I, you know, with workplace culture, There's only so much that can be done by having them attend a meeting here and there when they're not really invested yet in the work. They're not Mm -hmm. a provider yet. Um, So I see that as like a a small price to pay to uh, potentially have them just wait on, you know, administrative tasks. Obviously, the two people that you brought on to do admin work, it sounds like there's a benefit for it. But if you're just trying to find admin things for them to do, these future people, just to have them, you know, ready to see clients. Um, you know, I don't think that's necessarily needed and maybe a little cost prohibitive as you're trying to expand a new space and save, Mm -hmm. save on costs for that. That being said, you are in a perfect time right now. If you're able to timeline it out where that space opens in June, um, to start interviewing people, cause you're right. Most practice owners are in this drought phase right now of having a hard time finding a quality clinician, to hire um, to start that and and just let them know the onboarding time, you know, typically takes a handful of months just because we're credentialed with TRICARE, but we're looking to hire people that can start, you know, May, June. I If they can start working remotely in May, let's say you find someone this month and it takes them a couple months and they're ready by, you know, April or May, I would have them start at that point via telehealth just to build their caseload up so that, Once June hits, you're, you know, they're able to kind of cover some of those extra costs of the added space that you haven't been paying for this whole time.
1: Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was sort of, that's what I was sort of hinging on, but I was like, am I, the the question is, am I being too like, you know, I've heard you talk a lot about, I've read a lot about people scaling too fast and then it becoming kind of a little bit problematic. So I didn't want to become... You know the balance of like being too eager to capitalize on this time that seems kind of idle, but and like a good time to do some of these things. Mm-hmm. But then also knowing that there is that that leaves it, the thought of okay, their full time caseload is thirty, so that's one hundred and twenty patients I need to fill. Mm-hmm. So I did invest, like I said, I invested in marketing, and um, we should be starting. We're revamping all of our content, and and we're starting a blogs, and we're doing all that stuff. So I'm hopeful that that will start to draw in even not just the, the, the insurance and more out of network and more private pay we have a pretty good percentage but even more to fill those mm-hmm. other people so we can litter them in with a couple clients here and there starting yeah. up until June. But yeah. I didn't want to be too zealous about I just hired these two. I just got them onboarded. They don't even have patients yet and I'm gonna hire two more and I, I was like that feels weird I guess but I don't know if that's how it's just done.
0: Yeah I mean it you you have six right in total?
1: Myself plus five yeah
0: okay um so the
1: other three mm-hmm. are they full? They're full. And how long did it take them? Fast. I mean, the two I hired in January, 2020 were full before the pandemic hit. Okay. And then the other one I hired in May and she was, well, she was part-time, I should say. So, but then she went to full-time in December and she's been full now. Um, the only reason she's, we're picking up a couple of patients here and there is because some of our patients want an deployment and stuff like that. But generally, they're pretty full. They can One of them can't take any. The other can take one or two here and there, depending upon their, where their clients are with needs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretty quickly um, we fill. I would say they can get an average of four to five intakes a week.
0: Okay. And then the two that you just brought on that don't have anyone yet, when are they ready to start? You're waiting one,
1: for them? Yeah, one of them should be by the by beginning of February. Um or mid February. And then the other won't be till like mid March, probably. Okay.
0: And so even if you were to hire someone now, they're likely not going to, based off of your history so far that I'm hearing, it's very unlikely that anyone you hire now, that once they are you get them credentialed, or you start the credentialing process and they actually get credentialed, your current two people will be full. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: I think so, yeah. It
0: sounds like it takes just a couple of months for them to be completely full. And I feel good um, generally bringing on people when my existing newer staff are around that 75% mark. So even if they're not 100% full, um, when I was you know a newer practice or had less clinicians, that was kind of the metric I used for bringing on new people was Mm -hmm. I wanted my existing people to be around 75% because um, the idea was and it worked out in my favor in this way was that by the time that new person I hired got onboarded, went through the credentialing process and could actually see clients. Those people that were at 75% were likely closer to 90, 100% Mm -hmm. full. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it, it sounds a little deceiving for those that don't take insurance to hear you say that you don't have anyone there that two people don't have any clinicians, but this is kind of the norm for insurance practices that take insurance that have to, you know, wait this Longer amount of time. Um, And like you said, you're also investing now in this um, private pay Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. getting front and center with private pay clients. I don't see it being an issue. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like your business plan is to be a slightly larger practice, 10, you know, plus clinicians. Mm -hmm. And so it boils down to it sounds like you have a system in place for hiring and onboarding and getting them filled up. Is The the main question is really, do you have the funds to cover the cost of whatever the difference is between your one office space and now this 10 office space? Do you have Mm -hmm. the funds to cover probably six to eight months of rent while you're building that caseload? And that's on the safe side because if you think about it, you have all this time through June to hire people. I'm making the assumption that it's going to take eight months past June for you to fill that space up, which is very unlikely.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, do okay. you have yeah. the funds mm-hmm. to cover through December, June through December in that office space while you're building the caseloads of the people that are there? And now if it feels like, oh, I have to have three more full-time people fully filled to cover the rent, otherwise I don't have it, then I would say not. Then okay. find a five office space that has... um a right of first refusal that allows you to build out once you're ready,
1: mm-hmm. or even maybe like somewhere between five and ten, like a seven. Something a seven, like a yeah. seven, eight. yeah, something yeah. like that, so that we could all each kind of have our own offices and then still building. I know that's I keep going back and forth. That one of the offices they have the option of building in two additional offices within it that wouldn't really cost us extra, and it would make it like a ten office. It's already okay. it's currently an eight office, so oh. that's that kind of makes it. And we is put the rent. MTI.
0: Is the rent? Like, and that's the other thing to think about. I've seen, I've had spaces that I was looking at where the eight office space costs barely less than, than the 10 office, you know, have yeah. you at that is there, is it proportionately less to have eight offices versus the 10 office space? Because well, even funny. building out a wall, mm-hmm. that's gonna, it's going to, it's going to cost something. It doesn't cost nothing, right. you know? So yeah, I know that's the eight office space you're saying you could build, you know, break two of the rooms up and make it into a 10 office space. Right, you said? They will. Yeah, we put
1: it in our TI request. Oh, okay. So they would, we would have it? them do it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. They would cut because they have to do a build out. The soundproofing is the number one, the major issue in so many of these buildings we're looking at the soundproofing's horrific. So we're, yeah. we're asking them to do TIs, including sound specialist soundproofing yeah. and in which case they could build those two inner offices. And it also would, the space needs to be built that way so that we have a waiting room. So we asked for that. Um, but there, did you answer your question? No, in this area, this it's not significantly less. Cause we looked at another eight office suite and it was like, we're talking maybe less than a thousand dollars difference a month. And so yeah. that's not significant, but the price per square foot here is decent, but I, I don't know about where you guys are, but we, it, it's, it's, it's decent compared to California market. It's not the highest, but it's okay. high. It's yeah. high. It's like, yeah. you know, you get a, you get a 4,000 square foot office and you're, Pushing a ten thousand dollar rent a month, yeah. So it's pretty pricey here. But I don't. Again, I know that isn't like New York and Chicago and other places the same. Uh, but that's good to hear. That if I felt like I needed three more, I think that's what we've done. The math, the numbers. Um, husband's the finance guy, and he essentially was like, "It's the margins aren't going to be good at first. Like you're yeah. going to have to really build mm-hmm. up and get some more clinicians in there to make the margins feel good."
0: Yeah, and and that's how it normally is. Initially, the margins aren't good, um, and it's just a matter of knowing based off of how you lead and how your business, how your business works, how quickly you can get for it to be profitable. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, unless, you know, unless you're looking for a space that fits exactly what you have, obviously then it'll be, cause then you, it'll be profitable because you are setting it up. You're not setting up a space for expansion. You're setting up a space that fits what your virtual space right now is, you know? Yes, Yes. So, but in, in most cases, if we take COVID and all this weird virtual work that everyone's doing away, whenever we grow, that's the risk that we're taking, is that we're, you know, bringing on a space or taking on a space that's larger than the space we have now so that we can support the growth of, you know, a couple more clinicians. Mm-hmm. And so that byproduct is that the profit margins dip. Because you're paying more rent than what you have clinicians bringing income in for. Um, But that's where the fun work comes in with you of making that space filled. Right.
1: right. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really just, I guess if you're thinking about eight, between the eight office and 10 office space, I would be looking at um, long-term, am I going to need to build out the eight office space rather quickly? And B... Is the eight office space gonna save me the amount of money that, like, whatever the ten office space is? If it's a thousand and the eight, if the eight office space is only nine, there's nine thousand, and the ten office space is ten thousand, I likely would just take the ten office space because I'm actually saving money in the yeah. long term. If I know that I'm gonna want to have an, enough clinicians to cover all that space, it just makes more sense. Um, mm-hmm. But if it like works out in a way where it's 10,000 for 10 offices and 8,000 for eight, then, yeah, you know, if you want to take a little less of a risk, but still have enough space to grow into so that you're not just, the thing I hate is moving into a space that doesn't allow for growth. If that yeah. was the case, I would say that's not a smart move. If you are wanting to grow, you want to have the ability to grow. So if an eight office space would allow you to grow, then that might be worth it. If, yeah pricing is, is so that it's, um, you know, far enough away from the 10 office space.
1: Sure. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. What other hard um,
0: leader questions are coming up for
1: yes. you? So the next one is um, I guess related to hiring with, or I mean promoting within um, it, it, that is one of the, it, I don't know why I can't, I'm trying to do some work on it myself um, in my own sort of therapy and just leadership stuff is like, what is it about that that feels challenging for me? And um, I don't know if it's because I wind up feeling like I, there's certain clinicians like gravitate towards their, their their, you know, the way that they, uh, I see certain things in them. And then I say, wow, that's really great. But then I fear that it will come across as like favoritism or me grooming. So, you know, I, so I really am trying to navigate that piece because I see potential in some of my clinicians there. They're, I've asked them that there's things that you want to step up and talk to me about it, but I feel a little stuck with that for some reason. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, there's a, I like to go the route of um, seeing who is presenting leadership at me. Um, yeah. I used to, when I first started, I would um, like look for it in people, you know, I would try to see who, who seems like someone that could lead well. And then kind of like what you were saying, start the process of like, teaching them how to lead. And I've really shifted that over the years um, in realizing you'll, you could be disappointed if you're bringing on someone who you can see potential in as a leader, but maybe who really can't lead. That's mm. the whole idea of like the superstar and the rock star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um And so I shifted a, a few years ago and I'm like, I look at hiring leadership for leadership mm. as those who are showing me that they lead now. And I'm essentially giving them a leadership position that they are almost living in some ways without the title versus like trying to lift someone up into it, you know? Um, And I think that helped me with the question that you're asking now of favoritism and that is that... This person is clearly showing that they're stepping up and leading without my initiation, without me asking. And so it only felt natural to honor that work that they're doing by creating a leadership space for them to, you know, actually have a title that goes with what they've been doing. Um so that
1: that's that was helpful for me. I don't know if that Yeah, I like that I like that spin. It definitely helps break away from and it, and it has it break away from the fears of others perceive of the, the team perceiving something and I have to kind of keep that mindset is that it's not about worrying about just what they perceive necessarily but that what I am my motivation for doing that mm-hmm. um that goes with shedding the whole like um I guess like being liked and and all of those sort of little you know stuff that comes with leadership but Essentially, just remembering that, uh, you know, that, that I'm seeing something and there's a reason I'm seeing something and th- or that they're presenting it to me and shifting away from trying to hold it in them. Because that does feel it also that creates like, I don't want to say a burden, but in a way, it almost feels like I become sort of this mentor for a role that I really need them to be the leader in.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's the issue I've seen just myself as I've grown as a leader and brought people into leadership was um, initially... Having leadership that I had to train and and teach how mm-hmm. to even lead, which put a lot of the um like what the outcomes of their leadership was was back on me. And true yes. leadership, you own the outcome. And if I'm hiring someone to lead something, I want them to own the outcome of all the work that they're doing and independently be able to forecast. See where they need to make sh- some shifts, have difficult conversations without m- me managing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, that happens a lot with um, business owners who bring their employees up into leadership versus right. hire someone out mm-hmm. and bring someone, you know, who is a CEO of a past business, have them be a CEO of your business or CFO, whatever. Right. Um, is you get it's it's very a very different feel when you bring someone who's led a, a team in as a leader. There's a lot of things that they don't have to like shed that an employee would have to in terms of like peer relationships and shifting from being a peer to now being someone's Mm -hmm. no leader and um, and all of those things. So there are some dynamics that come with bringing someone up from employee to leadership I prefer that despite all of that. I like, you know, part of how I have my business run is that I want it there to be a space for upward movement so I don't hire leadership teams from outside. I, it always comes from within, um, but it, I, everyone knows, and this might be where it can help you with the transparency pieces. I'm pretty transparent and say, you know, all leadership positions are come by, by people who practice what they preach and are leading. And I see it. I'm not. I'm not unsure if you're a good leader. I'm not asking people to lead. I see them leading, and I want to honor that by providing a position for them to officially lead in. And it's helped um, for people who, you know, I think everyone kind of wants to lead in terms of like ego stuff, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a, it's just natural thing, even though not everyone is meant to lead. Yeah. And so there, you know, I would in the past have people that were like, Oh, I didn't realize you were looking for a supervisor. Like I might, you know, I would have been interested. And then having conversation of, you, you know, I bring people and now they're, they, they know this. Um, but that was where I learned, okay, I need to be transparent and say those people who are leading are doing so because they've shown it to me. And I don't have to worry that they can or can't lead. You haven't shown it. I didn't realize you would want to lead. Show me. Mm -hmm. Create something together. If you are showing me that you can lead, that you're doing it well, that you're, um, you know, providing uh, something positive to the community and to our business, you're, yeah, sure as heck, I'm going to find something. I'm going to find a way for you to lead. Um, And it's really shown those people that like maybe in theory want to lead because it would be nice to have a title and it's just, you know this ego boost that we yep. strive for, um, they've realized like, shoot, I don't, I, it doesn't come natural for me to lead. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to mm-hmm. do some work around how to grow that piece of me. Yeah. So, that makes sense. That would be uh, I like that. On
1: that. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's good. Very helpful. Yeah.
0: Well, cool. it, it, they, it's it been nice
1: talking to you. I feel like yes. I, I haven't seen you on uh Facebook. I don't know if I'm just yeah, no, I, I have been on, but I'm not on as much as I used to be, but okay. we, we lost our child care uh, in December. So we're doing a lot of juggling. We had a death in the family. It's just been a lot of, a lot of juggling. So I, I get on to like, look for certain things, but I, I definitely look forward to our child care resuming in March, hopefully. And then I, or check school, one of the two, and yeah. then I will be able to do more. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Well, keep yes. me posted on what you decide thanks. between the eight and 10 office space. Yes, thank you so much. I really <laughs> appreciate this opportunity and I hope that your house doesn't smell like rotten milk. I'm literally <laughs> gonna
0: I have another podcast in one minute. I'm gonna go run and see how bad the kitchen smells now. Okay,
1: good luck with that. All right, Maureen,
0: thanks. <laughs> yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. Like what you heard? Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening from. Need extra support?